Hello Balloon Artist Podcast Nation, what's up? Zivi Kivi here and this is season 8, episode 5 and today it's Matt Falloon. I can't wait for this interview, this is going to be fun. Enjoy! Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now... Welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here, and I'm so super stoked, so super stoked to have today an interviewee that was already here before, and he is one of my heroes personally. Uh, I'm so excited. Matt Falloon, hello. Hello, Zivi. So good to be back. Oh, it's been so long since I've spoken to you. I know, I know. It was just like a webinar a week ago in Balloon Artist College and in Kids at the Tenor Academy. And thank you for that and all that you do. But before we go into stuff and uh, like that, I really want to go deeper this time with you and talk about your journey, Matt Falloon. You've been entertaining in Sydney, Australia for 26 years working with balloons. That's definitely a veteran. And in the last five years, you've been doing that predominantly and doing only that. And I want to say something for you, Matt Falloon. How do you keep at it with such a lot of excitement and originality and creativity? Don't you ever get worn out? Absolutely. But the good thing about the way, I mean, there's a couple of things that keep me going. The first and most important thing is probably desperation. If I don't work, I don't earn. If I don't earn, I don't pay my bills. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't get to enjoy all the lovely things that I've grown accustomed to. So when you're full-time, you, you need to work and there's, there's always that drive. And, and it does, in a way, it does take away a little bit of the enjoyability of the job because when it's a hobby, when it's something you do to escape from your real life, then it, it really, you know, you let your hair down, you can go a bit crazy. But when when it suddenly takes that turn and becomes full-time, becomes serious, you do have to look at it with fresh eyes. So, um, so yeah, just keeping the lights on is good motivation. But probably more what you're asking about is um, I'm lucky because I do, my background is magic well, way back when. So when you say 26 years, easily the first 12, 13, 14 of those were Matt as a magician with the surname Falloon. It's stupid that it took me that long to figure out that balloons were a better way to go. When I was a magician, I was doing single, you know, single balloon sculptures, so your dogs and your, your, your swords. But I learned to follow the Marvin Hardy example and, and have all of those designs from that balloon magic book under my belt. And then from there, once I had those tools in the toolbox, I had the confidence to throw it out to the kids and say, well, what do you want? So even with one balloon stuff back when I was being a magician, the creativity was had to be there because that was the way I worked way back when. But having the magic background helps as well because I do a show as well as balloon twisting. So it means that if I start to burn out on the balloon twisting side and my creativity starts to drain low, I can shift my focus into the show. And the show is so drastically different the way you approach it, the way you come up with routines. I mean, even just the way you day-to-day doing the show is so different to twisting. So it, it does help, you know, stave off the burnout, having those two points of focus that you can shift between. And then when I burn out on the show, I shift back to uh, balloon designs and, and being creative and coming up with wacky things to do with balloons. And doing wacky things with balloons is something that I see you as a pioneer with. 
because there's all sorts of ways that you use your fingers with the balloons that are the balloons weren't meant for that Matt. I don't know if you <laughs> and, and 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 some of these moves are actually hard to do and once you know how to do them and practice them they are no longer hard to do you also teach a lot so all over the world so i want to ask you do you see a shift in people's responses when you show them or teach them something that is considered one of the more advanced moves let's just put in the context of the advanced moves in when i first started balloon twisting and first opened things up to facebook and first started making a name for myself it was back in the day when the standard thing to do on Facebook was you'd post a picture of, let's say I've made Winnie the Pooh. I'd post a picture of Winnie the Pooh. The first three responses on the, on the thread would be, here's my version of Winnie the Pooh from three different strangers. And then the fourth one would be somebody trying to reverse engineer the Winnie the Pooh that you've just made. Basically, my goal was to come up with things that people couldn't reverse engineer because at the time that was something that really bothered me about the Facebook world. Yeah, that was really the challenge that I set for myself was doing weird and wonderful things with balloons that you'd look at the shape that I'd made and you wouldn't even know what sort of balloon I'd use to get there. Sorry, going back to the core of your question. Um, like, do you see people respond differently? Because uh, I, remember, yeah. I remember back then, like we're just starting to hear about some of the techniques that you use and seeing some of the DVDs back then, um, uh, you know, like OCD, the, the DVD you, you've created. Um, uh, you you start the first reaction is usually fear, but, oh, <laughs> yeah, and, and then it still you, is. But do, do people get accustomed to it uh, from your from your experience and journey? It's interesting. The internet's made the balloon twisting world a much bigger place, and the percentage of people who fall into the advanced or striving to become advanced category has grown. But as a ratio of the total balloon twisting pie, there's a lot more beginners and intermediates in there. So there's still a section of the market that strives to do better. I sometimes feel like there's more and more of the market that look at a, a, a really tricky technique and go, oh, what's the point of that? I can't do it in my restaurant. And I don't think, I don't think there's more of those people out there. I just think that, that as the balloon twisting world grows and grows and grows, Obviously, that pie wheel grows and grows. So you still may have 20% of that pie who want to become advanced. But sometimes the 80% as it grows does, does tend to drown, up the, drown out the 20. And listen, I see where they're coming from. We're all in this to make some money. So making stuff that's quick and profitable and you can turn it around is definitely, I can see that being a priority. But as an artist, I, I just can't, I can't sort of dwell in that area. I've got to, I've got to keep pushing it forward, just my own for my own sake. And, and people seem to enjoy what I do. So it means I can do it for their sake as well. Well, I think that you're being modest, honestly. <laughs> and, and I think that those techniques actually produce a more accurate or cuter results. And because of that, it creates a happier kid or a happier customer. Yes. And I also think that some of the concepts you came up with actually became jargon in the industry, for example, these days, when someone is making something small, he will call it a pico. I'm so happy that that caught on. <laughs> I can't tell you how. Like, I feel like even if in, in 20 years my name is dead and forgotten, I hope that people are still saying pico and, and you know, I'll be sitting there in my wheelchair rolling around my restaurant as a 90-year-old balloon artist with no exit strategy smiling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just 
something that caught on and a very huge designs that you started and, and eventually and, and you also are still working on additional picos yeah. every time I get to meet you face to face in a convention I get to also be exposed to new designs in the realm of of the small just for the sake of someone maybe not uh, familiar with this yet for some reason yeah tell us why is Pico or why is doing a small sculpture is good for you so I was finding that you, my when I when I switched from magic to balloons the age of my birthday party bookings tended to trended downwards while I was a magician I was getting a lot of eight nine ten year olds whereas that my balloon birthday parties are sort of five to five to eight would be my main age range probably trending a lot more towards five six seven age range and I found with those bookings you've got You know, you've got a handful of young kids there who want the big crazy hat or the giant backpack or, you know, something that they can really sort of sink their teeth into, something big and chunky. And then you've got the slightly embarrassed teenager who doesn't really want to be there. And it's usually, it's not even the teenagers, it's the 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are still in that really tricky mode of what's embarrassing, what's not embarrassing, you know, social anxiety starting to kick in at that point. And they're very careful at that age. And so I thought, I don't want to default to, you know, a love heart on a headband. I love the love heart on a headband and I use it all the time, but I want something that's character-based that 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 age gap is really going to go for. So I started shrinking everything down, basically just making my 260 designs with 160s. But then I thought, well, what if there's stuff that I can do with a 160 that I can't do with any other balloon? And so I started coming up with a bunch of little animals that were specifically designed just with a 160 in mind that you couldn't, you can upscale them, but they just lose their charm if you upscale them as opposed to just dragging my larger sculptures smaller. And then once I started doing that, I thought, okay, well, these are getting a really good reaction. I can do the little hair clips with them and clip them onto the kids' clothing. So now I'm starting to get that demographic, that 11 to 13, 14 age group, group happy to wear balloons which was something that, you know, in Australia, even getting a five-year-old to keep a giant balloon hat on his head is a struggle. We don't, we, we've got a lot of the English in us. We don't like being the, the centre of attention as much as the Americans seem to. But no, suddenly, suddenly I'd sort of hit on this size sculpture that, that was really appealing to a really difficult group of kids. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, by nature, I like to think of myself as a bit of a problem solver. So whenever I see something that isn't working quite right, it'll eat away at me until I manage to fix it. So that was, that was just my, my way to solve that particular problem of being able to appeal to that age group. I remember uh, how I managed to use the, the Pico's designs and do them in front of an, a full audience of 200 people in a shopping mall with mm-hmm. a guessing game where uh, after doing maybe, I don't know, some huge flamingo or whatnot, and then suddenly they can't really see what am I doing with my hands and, and, and the end results of me presenting to them with this cute turtle, it's just, it creates a huge surprise and surprise invokes emotion. Thank you. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's what I feel is missing from a lot of balloon twisting. It's something I'm not, I'm not ready to teach it yet because I haven't got all my thoughts straight on it and I haven't really... I haven't really figured out how to teach it yet, but I do think the missing, the missing quarter of a lot of balloon artists is 
not performance in terms of performing as a character, but performance in terms of how you put the sculpture together. I mean, we know that the, the eyes go on top and we know that it has to be red and we know that the Sharpie artwork goes like this. But what are you as an entertainer doing when you stick the hair on that unicorn? Like, like there's got to be a step there in terms of performance as well as structure of the sculpture. So that's something that I'm, that's been, you know, ticking away in my brain for a long time. And, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll come out in a way that is more easily expressed soon enough, I think. Cool. I can't wait. And you also came up with a few other ideas that I wonder what was the problem that you solved. So if you don't mind, without sharing the technicalities, because if people want to learn how to do them, they can go and find you online. Yeah. It's really easy. You even teach in, in balloonartistcollege.com. So it's really easy to find your, your knowledge. But what was the bob-ups all about? What were you trying to solve or, or achieve? So years ago, somebody showed me a 350 design where it's basically you make a tulip twist in the end of a 350 and then you pierce the remaining uninflated tail, roll it up into a little ball and tuck it up inside the 350. And that makes a little cylinder that always lands on its base. And, you know, those, those sorts of toys have been around for a long time. And so I thought there's going to be a way you can make those with balloons. And I researched and sure enough, a lot of people had done it. And a lot of people had done it with uh, water weights or putting sand inside or coins or whatever. There was, there's all sorts of really elaborate um, ways to functionally make these, these little critters. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, in typical Matt Falloon style, let's reinvent the wheel and come up with a way that I can do it that doesn't require me adding extra bits into my kit because, I mean, since I started with balloons, I now carry glue and I carry uh, hair clips and hair bands and, and slap bands and I carry feathers and I carry <laughs> LED lights and I carry... Um, I'm now playing around with making balloons smell. So there's a bunch of different scents that I'm going to be carrying soon. And, you know, that's, that's another topic for another day. That's something that I'm working with. And so I thought, I don't want to add anything more into my kit. I'm going to end up with more accessories than I've got balloons. So how am I going to do this with, with the existing stuff? And so I played around. I came up with a couple of um, solutions that were all horrible. And so I thought, okay, I need to put a little bit more thought into this and step it up. And I, I figured out why they were horrible, why they didn't work, how I could make them work better. With bop-ups, I've got a really, and again, like you said at the start, it's going to be one of those techniques that people who fall into that uncomfortable being intermediate category will recoil at a little bit. But I won the three-minute competition at last year's Twist and Shout with a bop-up design. And, and it wasn't a basic bop-up design. It was sort of that, that mid-level bop-up design. So it can be done efficiently. It can be done on a job. And you end up with these amazing little toys that you don't need to teach the kids how to play with. You give it to them and they show you how they play with them. And it's, it's really cool just to see kids figure out what they can do with these things. And then that then spurs me on to make new designs with pop-ups. And you've created quite a lot of designs. And just uh, to paint a picture, because this is a, an audio program. So these designs basically... They wobble around a little bit, and when you hit them, they fall and come back again. So that's why they're named Bob Up. Every time you hit them or make them go down, they go back up. So all the technicality of how to do that is explained in, in your teachings. Yes. But you also have been very creative in, in the designs themselves. So, of course, the elephant on a ball 
that all, always comes back up. That was the winning piece that you won in Twisting Shout, and congratulations for that. Thank you. But you also did all sorts of crazy designs, like a human doll that was is used for practicing, is used when you're testing new cars. Oh, the crash test dummy, yeah, that yeah. always lands on the head. That was an idea that uh, I think I jammed on when I toured with Christopher Lyle and David Bren. And I think somebody had made a baby. I'd shown them the, the technique and somebody made a baby that you could throw around the room and it always land on its head. And I'm like, I, I, I really like it. And to the right audience, throwing a baby off a wall is probably kind of fun, but to the wrong audience, that might upset them. So how am I going to smooth that idea out a little bit? And I came up with the crash test dummy, which is really popular. It's one of my favorite ones to make. I think it's brilliant because, again, there's a complete story in that piece, the technique, the pop-up technique that you've come up with. And there are other types of techniques that can be done and have been done with, I don't know, water or whatnot. But again, yeah. you, you created a minimalist approach here of only with the stuff that you have already on your kit. And you managed to create a design that also has a nice story. And it makes sense that the crash dummy, the crash test dummy will land on its head. It's just funny. It's cute. I can't, I can't remember who gave me the advice, but somebody told me years and years and years ago is, is rely on your skill, not on your equipment. Mm. And so, you know, being able to do something quite fancy in advance just with a handful of balloons rather than having a zillion different little bits to add into it, you know, it's a good skill to have and it's something that people should, you know, invest more thought into that idea. I want to talk about the frampels for a second and these new designs that you're working on and have uh, came up with, there's something in them that changes the, it's almost like a different style of of a look, aesthetically speaking, yeah. and going more from the towards the accurate and going more into the cartoon-like? It's one of these funny things. I was at a jam a couple of years ago. This is sort of, this isn't a story specifically about front pals, but it, it outlines my approach to it. And there was a young twister, I think he was 11 or 12, and somebody had brought him along and he was making a penguin and he was falling into the trap that we all fall into where you make the thing that you're shown how to make. Oh, I don't know how to make a penguin. And somebody at jam says, I have a penguin. And they show you a penguin, which isn't particularly good, but that's the only design you've got for a penguin. So that suddenly becomes your penguin. And it doesn't really look like a penguin. And, you know, like there's, there's a number of problems with it. So the activity I went through with him is I said, okay, make a penguin. And he made his penguin. I said, okay, good. We'll put that aside. Forget balloons for a second. I gave him a sheet of paper. And I said, draw a penguin. Don't draw a balloon penguin, like draw the animal penguin. And while he was drawing his penguin, I was drawing a penguin too, but I was drawing his balloon. And that way, when we flipped the pages around, he'd drawn a little realistic penguin. He was an artistic kid and he drew quite a good little penguin. And I turned my my picture around and it was a picture of his balloon. And I said, now, which one looks more like a penguin? And obviously his one did. And so then we sat down for the next 10, 20 minutes and we figured out a design that looked like his drawing rather than look like a balloon. And the front pals really stems from that. I wanted the front pals to look like you draw them. You know, if you were drawing a cartoon unicorn, I'd want it to look, there's certain things and certain shapes and certain attributes you'd want to get into it that you can get in with a balloon, but I wanted to figure out an easy way to do it. And so, yeah, they've taken on this really sort of fluid, interesting design where there's a minimal amount of twists in the actual piece itself. A lot of the structure and the shape of it is, is a single balloon 
that's been decorated. I was I was lucky enough to have uh, Cody Williams was in Australia a couple of years ago, and he came to work at my restaurant. And in between giving himself little breaks to go and flirt with the waitresses, heard him say to me about what, a little seal design that I'd made. He goes, dude, it's 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 almost a, a different way of twisting. Like it's not balloon twisting as we know it. And so I sort of took that to heart when I when I developed the rest of them. And I tried to step away from traditional techniques as much as possible and try to come up with something new, which, you know, may not be for everyone, but I think it's a really funky thing and I make a lot of them. Well, I think that people enjoy something fresh and they, even if they, they have seen, you know, they haven't seen the, the amount of balloons that we have and they didn't see, you know, all the crazy stuff that can happen in a, in a convention, but still there's something fresh on a design that is so, so special, like, like the frumpel and the way that the, the head is behaving differently. And I, I remember I did a, a, the birthday of the kid of a balloon artist called Karen Friedman Bracha. You may have heard about her. Uh, and she's really awesome. Yes. And I did some more elaborated twisting pieces. And I did your frumpel turtle, the one that is eating some balloon grass, I guess. And she was just shocked. She was just, <laughs> she looked at it and she was like, really trying to analyze what am I doing it? Why, why am I taking uh, unneeded, uh, unnecessary risks with the balloons? But, but, but I did and it works. And, and it's just the end result is so special and so fresh. So it's only a risk the first 10 or 20 times you try it. Other than that, you get it, you get a feel for it and, uh, and it's not so risky anymore. Yeah. Well, I think practicing something for even more than that makes sense and, uh, controlling the speed and, it can be done, uh, you can twist faster if you practice, especially if you practice the same designs over and over again. But also having the maturity to know when you don't need to twist faster. Having the maturity to know when it's better for you artistically or financially or whatever to take a breath and take your time and enjoy being in the moment with those people and connect with those people in a different way. Because, again, the danger people come into is the customers walk away and they go, those balloons were amazing and they've forgotten you. It's like walking away from a magic show and thinking those tricks were incredible. And they go, who did you see? And you go, I don't know, some guy in a suit. But he did good tricks. You know, you want them to remember you. You don't want them to remember the, the physical object you give them. And, um, and yeah, no, a lot of people focus on speed twisting and that's great if you're working for tips. But if you're doing a pri- private kids party and you've got a good amount of time, you can take your time and, and just enjoy being there. I think that uh, some people might even argue that uh, if you're working for tips, there's a way to do that with the more elaborated stuff. You know, you know people. I, like- I would agree, but it's outside of my experience because in Australia we're not really a tipping economy. I get the yeah. occasional tip, but it's not common. Yeah, it's not common here too. In the states, it's common. So you've been uh, developing all sorts of new designs, and uh, you've been also teaching relatively soon. And I want to give everyone the opportunity to know where is that happening. So give us that, like, uh, when are you teaching soon so that people can come and see? I mean, physically, because you can always come and see you online on Balloon Artist College. But of course. So I'll be t- teaching at Twist and Shout next year, which is going to be happening in Kentucky. <laughs> I've never been to Kentucky, but if I hear banjo music, I'm getting out of there. Yeah, I'm going to be teaching. I think I'm teaching Frump House for sure. Um, actually, I should I should probably keep quiet about what I'm teaching because I don't know if it's been announced yet. <laughs> no, Steph, they're shaking your head. So, no, it hasn't been announced yet. 
but uh, I might change my mind. Maybe I won't teach front panels, but I will be teaching something and it'll be probably be pretty good if you want to come and check that out. <laughs> I am teaching something uh, at Twist and Shout that's kind of non-balloon related, but I think it's going to appeal to a lot of the creative types who, like I said, that, that segment of the market who want to push themselves from intermediate to advanced. Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be some cool stuff there. And uh, you're also going to teach in OzGem. When is that going to happen? OzGem is August 2020. Yeah, again, I've, I've submitted my classes, but no doubt, knowing me, they'll change three or four times before, before we actually get there. Oh, they, they get me to submit them so early, Zivi, and that means that I have to fix my creativity at a point in time. And so by the time the convention rolls around, I've got three new ideas that I want to share with everyone. It's crazy. Wow. Well, I think that's really a creative process that I'm happy that people, that are people like you that are going through, that makes the conventions way more interesting. And later on, of course, some of the ideas are also shared through Balloon Artist College, and that is awesome. Matt Falloon, thank you so much for sharing with us just a little bit about the way you look at things and your journey uh, in the creative realm of, of balloons. And thank you for being so creative. We need that. We need that. We need people to give us permission to be creative, but also to show us the way and set an example and lead. And you, my friend, are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, well, let, let me, let me, let me do, a, do a few quick plugs before we hang up the phone if we can. Yes. Um, obviously, Balloon Artist College exists and a lot of my products exists there as the Matt Falloon experience, which is by far the most cost-effective way to buy everything in one bundle. I have replaceable blade balloon cutters, which is another end product of my problem-solving mindset, which are available both through Continental Sales and uh, balloonguy.com.au. And then I also have my balloon rolls available through balloonguy.com.au, which are I think one of the best ways to store and manage and organize your balloons and keep everything neat and tidy. They've become really, really popular. So, yeah, I mean, everywhere you look, I am. So have check out Facebook and send me a message if you have any questions and all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah. Thank you so much for, for those reminders, really important notes, because, yeah, I really have wonderful cutters and, and a great way to control your, the way the, your balloons look like, and that's important too. Guys, if you want to check out the links for more things that you can purchase that Matt makes. We will put everything in the balloonartistpodcast.com website on the show notes of today. So if you go there, we will put uh, like a link to Continental Sale and to everywhere that uh, is relevant. I will work with you, Matt, on that just to make sure that we'll, we don't forget any, any link or something. So, no. so even if there's a new stuff, new stuff by the time you hear this podcast, then the link will be there. So go to balloonartistpodcast.com and everything uh, by Matt uh, will be there. We love well, you know, it. You know, if I come up with something new, Zivi, I expect you to be the one that runs with it like you did with the slap bands. I'm, I'm so happy those slap bands have been getting out to people in such an easy way. <laughs> that is something that we didn't even cover. And yes, <laughs> gosh, like, you know, Alberto Nava created the hair bands uh, idea and it really took off. But the slap bands or slap bracelets, the idea that you came up with and made it popular in your uh, digital downloads and then was very generous with sharing this idea to the world. I'm so thankful for that. This is really such an amazing tool 
to share a balloon that is wearable, but also to promote your brand with a, a print on the silicon bracelets. And I was lucky enough to be in the position to negotiate a great deal with a manufacturer and, and to help over 50 different mm-hmm. balloon people to get their hands on those, this amazing tool. Up to today, I really have all sorts of ways of how to carry them <laughs> and how to show them around and make sure that people have uh, a nice ability to choose from the colors and stuff. It's really fun. It's a business card that never gets thrown away. It's a really great little tool. Yeah, it is. Wow, so many things. Keep at it. Matt, we want more. Thank you so much. And I thank you guys for listening for the Balloon Artists Podcast. See you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Wow, Matt Falloon is such a brilliant human being. He's not only a pioneer of techniques in balloon art, he's also a really good performer. And uh, if you go to balloonartistcollege.com, you can these days really find not just a, a Matt Falloon experience course, which uh, is a bundle of his courses, but also a lot of individual of his courses. So if you're only missing one, uh, now you can find that in balloonartistcollege.com. And I'm so thankful for having Matt Falloon in the industry and in my life. Uh, it's, it's just such a pleasure to see his dedication for problem solving, for uh, aesthetics, uh, for um, just people, people in the industry. Such a great, great guy. Thank you guys for listening for the Balloon Artist Podcast and see you next week. Bye bye. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, Chapter 5, the tip section. And uh, in this season, you may have noticed I am more of a storyteller than a tip uh, giver uh, because I believe in the power of stories and they give you a compass uh, that is the biggest tip of all in, in many ways. And the story of today is a story about a, a frustrating situation where a customer of mine has joined a very expensive program and has been using everything in the program, the videos, the coaching sessions, literally everything, have consumed all of the coaching sessions that were included in that program back then, uh, where, before I did the game challenge, uh, where that includes unlimited coaching sessions for a period of time. At the beginning of the creation of the modern automated business course, we only had like specific tokens. Well, that customer actually consumed all of them and then uh, basically announced that he have decided not to continue to pay for the program uh, that he has committed to a certain amount of installments. That situation was really frustrating uh, because it's kind of, it's not like, you take, a, like, uh, you buy, I don't know, a TV, it's still in the box, and you go back the, the next day and you return the box and want the money back. It's not like uh, you buy a dress and you measure it at home and you go back to the shop the next day or so and you give it back and get your money back. It's more like you bought a hamburger, you ate the whole thing, and then you want uh, like t- uh, to get the money back, only this specific hamburger costs 2,000 bucks or more. Now, 
I, very, I'm very firm on refunds and on money back guarantees. Uh, if I tell you that the money back guarantee is 30 days, then it's for 30 days. So if you've consumed everything for seven months or for a year and you want your money back, then like, no. So uh, that was a really frustrating situation. And there was a lot of anger involved. And, and I tried my, like every, every uh, tool in the book of generosity and of, of, of uh, patience and trying to, you know, get, get into a situation where we can talk about things and understand what, what went wrong in the process and learn from it. But uh, I was noticing that that customer was very, very angry. He was, he was just frustrated, I think, I don't know, maybe from, from himself not putting in the work or maybe from the fact that, you know, life is hard and sometimes you need to actually uh, pay the price for your decisions and, and uh, the price might be hard even though you, the coaching gives you a map and a compass, you still need to walk in that map and in that compass. So the situation was frustrating and, and with a lot of emotions. And I'm sharing this with you because this is actually a huge trigger for something called the imposter syndrome. And I think that the imposter syndrome is so common that it's really important that we talk about it. And also, it's really important that we will uh, have tools to overcome it. And uh, a, 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 an upset customer is, is, is going to happen anyway for all of us. An upset customer is something that is like, just statistically speaking, it's going to happen at some point to all of us, right? And it doesn't matter if you know that you're right, like all the rules were published and uh, I even have like written confirmation from, from the customer that says, I will pay everything. Uh, and then, you know, they still changed their mind and decided to ignore their, their, their advice, their, their, like, their own words. So it doesn't matter anything. It can happen. It can happen for you as well. Like imagine you you decided you will sell your twisting services for someone and uh, you go and you do the work and then by the end of the hour they tell you um, you know what everyone really loved you it was really fine but um, uh, we're only going to pay you uh, 50 bucks an hour instead of 150 which is your price uh, because um, of some, some, some silly reason like because that's what I think uh, you're, you're worth now, uh, on, a, on, a, on a 150 bucks per hour uh, gig, it will be frustrating. Imagine how it feels like when that customer booked you for, for 2,000 uh, worth of, of gigs and you already did all those hours of work. That would be really frustrating. So this can happen to anyone. And because of that, we need to understand um, this, the, the, the type of feelings that might occur, like you might think to yourself, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not the real deal. Maybe, uh, like, what if uh, people will find out that, uh, that I have this problem, that, I, that, uh, um, that someone was, was, you know, mistreating uh, me this way? What if everyone will do that? So those voices, there's, there's only one way to heal them. Those voices... So, uh, that are so t attached to the imposter syndrome, there's only one way to heal from them. And it's called 
vulnerability. Vulnerability is when you go to someone that you trust and that you love and you open up with them and you create a connection where you're basically telling them, can you show me a mirror, please? Please show me a mirror because the mirror that I'm using right now is showing me something ugly. I don't enjoy watching the mirror at the moment. So can you show me a mirror and tell me just what you see? That is vulnerability. If, if you go to someone you don't trust, they might tell you something that you don't necessarily appreciate um, and you might not be, be willing to be vulnerable. So you need to go to someone that you trust that will be hopefully objective. You can even tell them. Uh, be very objective with me. What do you think happened in, in, in this situation? What would you do differently? And what do you think uh, this means? And, and all of those questions, they expose vulnerability. They, you really cannot say for sure what they will say in, in return. But the new mirror will be way better uh, than, than the, the one that the angry customer is pointing at you. So please know that you will eventually find an angry customer. You will eventually find someone that is trying to, sh- to tell you that you are wrong, that you are doing something uh, like in, in a bad way. And uh, even, you know, someone can be that un- angry that they are tell- telling about you stuff that are just not true. And, and, Let's, let's take it one step further. If you hear this story, then you know. You now know that like, there's always more information. There's always a, uh, like a second side to, to each coin. And uh, like just taking this moment to breathe in and, and think and, and, and try to be objective and not judgmental. Not judgmental. There's, not, no, there's no... Uh, right or wrong here there's just people with feelings and needs and wants and uh, everyone are entitled for feeling angry everyone are entitled for uh, for having f- needs um, they still may act wrongly and be unfair but but they have an entitled for their uh, for their needs and, and for their feelings just because they were born human beings so I think that uh, my lesson here is stay human. I think that my lesson here is um, to to remember to have someone in your life that you can connect to, someone that you can trust and love, and someone that you can be vulnerable with. That's really important. It can help you overcome uh, the imposter syndrome feelings. It can help you uh, just... Uh, Take things in perspective. Uh, it's not the end of the world. You have one customer that is angry and then you move on and you you look into the new mirror and you serve people that you appreciate your customers uh, with better motivation and better and further vigor. I hope that by sharing with you guys this, this story about a customer that decided to uh, not pay what he promised in, uh, to pay even in writing, I hope that story will put things in, perspe- in perspective when you run into some shitty customer. And I hope that um, by talking about the importance of vulnerability, you will take action. You will take action. You will find someone in your life uh, that you can consult with. And thank you for being that person. Thank you for being here for me to allow me to share with you my 
uh, hurdle points and my frustrations and what I've learned from them because I've grown so much by doing those things, by, by listening to those stories that I'm sharing with you. And that's what I hope for you, that you will be able to grow too. Um, this was the tip section on episode five of season eight of Balloon Artist Podcast. I can't wait to meet you next week. See you in Balloon Artist Podcast. <laughs>